0: Welcome to the Scholars and Storytellers Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers at UCLA. This episode, recorded on August 20th, 2020, is about talking about race with children, how stories can facilitate important conversations, with Qualey Chanda and Dr. Allison Briscoe Smith. Qualey Chanda is the VP of Kids and Animation at Hello Sunshine. Dr. Allison Briscoe Smith is a child clinical psychologist and the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the Wright Institute. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome everyone. Um we are so excited to um host this live stream. Um it couldn't come at a more important time and um you know with incredible speakers um, who truly do understand and and know these topics in on many levels. So um you know, this is this is our normal audience is storytellers, but I think this will be really important for parents and educators as well. I think all of us can learn. I've learned a lot delving into this topic myself. Um, talk. This is talking about race with children. How storytellers can facilitate important conversations. Um, This is the Center for Scholars and Storytellers tuning into a live stream. Our live stream will go to one. Please remember you can put, um, as always, questions in the chat and we will start taking questions after a brief conversation with both panelists. Um, I am thrilled to, to um, point to both panelists, and I'll, I'll just mention you, and then we can um, go to um, the questions. So Quaylee uh, Shonda um, is a, um, our storyteller, and she works in the kids' division of Hello Sunshine, and she will tell you more about her background and experience. She's got a deep, deep bench of experience in kids' TV and Dr. Allison Briscoe-Smith, who is really one of the top experts about um, talking about race with children and families and has been researching this for many, many years. Um, I first discovered her work, um, you know, through the Greater Good Center, which is a wonderful um, resource. um, And we partner with them all the time. And um, then saw her on a Common Sense um, webinar and just loved what she said, had to say and felt it was really, really aligned with what we say, which is obvious because it's research-based. Um, so I'm going to start with asking each of you, and I'm, I'm Yelda T. Yules. I founded and started the Center for Scholars and Storytellers. I was a movie exec for 15 years before I became an academic and got a PhD in child development. Um, so i'm moderating um so first um starting with Quaylee, why don't you introduce yourself tell us a little bit about back, your background and tell me why you care about your this issue and i'm gonna mute myself when i'm not speaking so that any ambient sound behind me doesn't come up
2: um hi my name is Quaylee chanda and Yalda. thank you so much for having me today this is uh such an great opportunity to be able to talk about something that has always been important, but for some, you know, for obvious reasons has the spotlight is certainly on, on this issue. Um, and I'm really uh, pleased that it is because it finally gives us all a chance to be really upfront about what we're facing. In kids content for um, over 20 years, my first job out of college was on a little show called blues clues and um, and you know, at the time, I thought every every te- television show was going to be a huge global phenomenon. <laughs> that is not true, um, but I was—I uh, learned—I got—I cut my teeth on that show, um, and from there, I became a live-action director for many, many years and uh, then transitioned into producing. Um, and uh, after a an, an multiple, I ran my own production company for about 12 years in there and uh, would do live action content for Sesame Workshop and Sesame Street and Nickelodeon, PBS Kids, all the stuff. Um, and then transitioned into being uh, executive about three or four years ago where I started um, as a consultant for development. And I worked um, with amazing companies such as HBO Family, Um, Universal Kids, Apple, Netflix, and now I'm at Hello Sunshine, Um, and so uh, for me, this particular topic is, you know, for a lot of my career, I uh, was very often the only person of color in every room I walked into, Um, and, you know, the first part of my career wasn't necessarily something that I was uh, embracing or aware of or was vocal about. Um, and yet, as I've gotten to more and more leadership roles, I have really taken the mantle on, um, simply because, again, with this, with great responsibility comes power. Yeah, with great power comes responsibility. And, and I want to be able to help change who the storytellers are. Um, and and that comes from hire, changing hiring practices and changing who's telling these stories and um both on and off screen um and so yeah it's been a, very, a focus it's been a focus of mine for for many years and i'm thrilled to be able to um be at a company like hello sunshine that really actually encourages it uh, full, wholeheartedly
1: yeah it's an amazing company i i Similarly, I had a similar trajectory of not talking and learning about it later. Um, Dr. Briscoe-Smith, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, same question. Introduce yourselves and uh, introduce yourself and tell us why you care about this issue.
3: Sure. Um, so my name is Allison, and I'm a child psychologist by training. Um, my main area of focus or places that I like to spend my time um, learning about navigating advocating for in the context of trauma and rape. So my whole entire training has been in the context of serving folks who are impacted by trauma. So um, that includes what I think kind of comes to mind, um, neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, and also, you know, over time as I've learned more, it's also been about community exposure to violence and has been more clearly to me been about just being impacted by oppression. Um, so the the lens of both uh, trauma and also been a central focus of mine um, throughout my, my career. Um, I've been interested um, in how do parents talk about race? Um, how do we think about it? How do we help our children understand it? And I've basically been following that kind of question for, for years now. Um, and the, the quick story is I had a um, project in undergrad where I needed to collect data on how children understood um, whether or not stereotypes impacted their memory. Um, and I interviewed 60 kids. They all did this race-based task that I made them do, but there was one white girl who said, I'm not gonna do it. And I was like, I got candy. She's like, I'm not gonna do it. And I said, well, I gotta get my dis- my, my, my thesis system. We gotta get it. And she said, I will not do it because my parents told me I shouldn't judge people that way. Um, and she was eight. And I have to say, I basically have been following that question. Like, what did her parents do? How did they equip her to, um, you know, defy an adult in a position of authority. What What did they do? Um, so that's the question I've been following and really interested in tell in our families, but really interested in this dialogue because the stories that are told to us, the stories that we see, um, and I, I really honestly am in the place of just trying to support families in engaging in this conversation while holding on to the intersection of trauma and the pain that comes um, and and race as we do it. So I'm really excited to, to be here. I think the other piece just kind of um, hold on to is that I'm a mom of three. So I've got a, a 11 year old um, who mostly watches Netflix and Hulu. Um, I've got a nine year old who's in the world of Minecraft which I don't quite understand. And then I have a three year old who watches all the shows that you just mentioned um, uh, as well. So I, I'm a consumer of these of these services right now um, is another place that I, I'm really interested in what's, um, what Stories that are being told to my children. That's amazing. Um,
1: so, Quaylee, uh, um, you know, d- you tell us a little bit about what you your, what you'll be doing at Hello Sunshine, and what you're, um, and it, and just for those viewers who don't know what development is um, versus production. Um, If you can talk a little bit about development, it can mean so many things. And I didn't, you know, being in the industry, development always meant like developing scripts. But, you know, outside of the industry and nonprofit, it means fundraising. There's so many different definitions. So, and then also just sort of a broader lens of what the approach you think so far and Hello Sunshine may be very different. We're gonna show a clip from one of their shows. Um, But what is the approach so far that studios that make kids content in particular in preschool, um, and then maybe six to 11, um, that they take when talking about race in that kind of content?
2: Um, So in answer to your first question, development in the
1: creative television
2: and space uh, is really the process in figuring out um, how what, what projects to take to, um, who is attached to run those shows. Um, if it's an animated series, which um, is really my focus, um, what those shows, look, what those characters look like, what those, that world looks like. It's creating a package, essentially, um, that you can take to a buyer and say, here's a, here's a great show idea, um, do you wanna buy this? and here are all the reasons why you should buy this. Um, and then ideally you're working with a platform um, that can you know, give you money to make your TV show. Um, and then two years later, you have a show because um, it takes that long in animation. <laughs> I know if, if all goes well. Um, so in terms of Hello Sunshine, um, we started our kids in animation division about a year ago. Um, it's headed up by Claire Curley, the phenomenal Claire Curley, who uh, came from Nickelodeon. Um, I joined the company in January. We have another uh, colleague, Andrew Tolbert, who came from DreamWorks. Um, so our the goal is now i don't know how much you might know about the company in general but uh reese witherspoon started the company in 2016 with the um goal of changing the narrative for women um to put women in the center of every story to tell complex um, char- to show complex characters and dive into issues that you may not have seen um, played out before. It's uh, and you know the bar has been set very very high for all of us who aren't in um, our scripted team uh, because you know we just recently got uh, honored with eighteen Emmy nominations. So um, you know the the company is 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 really uh, it, it the yeah as I said the bar is is very high we can only, you know, when we look at this from a kid's content standpoint, it's sort of like, okay, how do we take this mission of changing the narrative for women and applying it to young audiences? So um, the goal is to put girls at the center of every story, tell complex stories with complex characters um, that don't fall into stereotypes. I mean, so often a lot of these girl skewing shows, especially if it's like an ensemble cast, they'll have the sporty one the sciencey one, you know, the social butterfly, like it's, it's just so I I get that there's a need to tee up content that is um, for a mass market. But what I get concerned about is the messaging that you are also doing with that. Um, And certainly uh, there's uh, in that ensemble. There's only one brown skin one, mm-hmm. and usually that brown skin one is like the smartest one or the STEMy one. You know, I mean, it's just uh, it. it all, what it does is it unfortunately doesn't show kids all the complexities of of uh, individuality and um, how you can be multifaceted um, that you don't have to sit, be in one box. So. Um, our goal is to find content, create content, develop content that dismantles a lot of these preconceived, um, boxes. Let's pull those boxes down. That's what we're doing. Um, and it's, it's amazing that, I mean, again, like, you know, we're looking for, you know, premium quality content made by phenomenal, um, storytellers that come from all diverse backgrounds, um, as female authorship and, um, uh, is so is so central to to what we do as
3: well.
1: Um, yeah, I speaking about sort of those boxes that characters get put into. Um, you know, and it is challenging. And maybe um, Allison, you can speak a little bit to development. You know, I'm a, I've been trained as a developmental psychologist, and and you know, kids understand at different levels narrative and story, you know, there's definitely a developmental trajectory. So on some level, it's very hard for them to get complex um, ideas at a young age. But at the same time, you know, you don't want, you want to show more complex characters. Um, and I sort of think like identities and intersectionality, those are like such key words um, that we should all be thinking about. In um, then, you know, from a content development perspective, it's like, how, have I allowed the character to have all these different facets. But, and then one other thing, and then I, I wanna um, go to you, Allison. but um, I do think it's a little complicated and maybe we can touch upon this, that, you know, there's the reason the kid, the, the person of color is the STEM person or the smart one is do you wanna make them the bad one, right? Like, you know, there's a, there's a push to, 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 to change the narrative on some level but what it ends up doing is still being stereotypical. So how do you handle that? I mean, I think it's, I think the issue is that there shouldn't just be one. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. That's um, a very good point. I mean, that's the thing, you know, like, and also we need to look at who's doing the storytelling. Um, and 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 what is that? Where is this sort of? counter messaging coming from and what is that place that it's coming from is it coming from a place of guilt is it coming from a place of sort of reparation to a certain extent and 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 is that isity then eliminating brown faces in the first place so we just have to change who's telling these stories so that, and,
1: and not not just have one brown face. I mean, just, it doesn't, that's just not what the world looks like. And not just one brown face in the writer's room either. Oh hell um, um, So Allison, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we, we've touched upon this a little bit and I think that this is relevant as a follow-up too. Um, when do you think children should be exposed to these kinds of conversation, both at home on screen and what kind of nuance can you have? And I know we we have that slide if you want us to share it or we can drop it in the comment thing, but um, it would be great to get your thoughts.
3: Sure. I mean, I think this is a great time for for the slide. So, you know, the question, as I kind of understand it, is when when can children engage in a conversation about race? But to kind of back it up a little bit, which is that um, children are noticing as soon as they enter into the world. And so the research that we have indicates that children um, as young as three months and six months are paying attention to, noticing, looking at um, phenotypic features that we as grown-ups identify as being racial. And that's one of the things I want to pause, because paying attention to um, phenotypic differences or paying attention to what we understand as race doesn't mean that they're doing it like we do. And I, I think that's also the space that we have to slow down. Right. And I think actually, Quaylee, I think that's the thing that you're talking about, which is nuance and complexity is actually what children are doing. And that when we only give them one flat box for that, then we're reifying that box. Um, So the opportunity is there up front to show multiple uh, different, um, similar, you know, that all of that is available to them starting from the very beginning. And then what we do notice is there are developmental shifts in terms of how they come to understand. So they start making peer selection decisions um, uh, according to race very early around three. We notice around that time actually that black kids um, are indicating that they understand very clearly that white is a preference. Um, So that they're picking up on the smog in the air, the implicit biases that often are coming from what they're watching only that, but also how they see people interact in the world. So I I think we got to conceptualize children. And I think this is actually what makes a good TV show. We Don't treat children like they're dumb. Is that we have to, and we don't want to overshoot them. Right. We want to understand that they're developing and growing and learning. But if we actually hold children and and treat them like humans, um, which we sometimes forget you know, they're not just receiving our input. They're actually making sense. They're complicated. They're engaging. They're altering the world around them. So that, so that question is really that the kids are trying to make sense of the racialized world around them from the minute that they enter into a world that's racialized. It's just that um, many parents are silent um, or that the conversations are being held are um, not explicit conversations, but the conversations that, that children are watching uh, uh, around them. So it's, very early, it's very present. It's constant, much like you know the conversation they're learning about gender, what gender means, what how gender is impactful. Um, as soon as they enter into a world where gender is a thing. Yeah, it's funny. My uh,
1: my daughter, of course, wanted princess costumes. I like to think of myself as not, um, you know, I'm not a stereotype of gender. And um, so my my uh, professor at the time said. No, every um, gender psychologist thinks there's no differences between the races and that there's nothing being out, out there in the world until they have their own children. Mm-hmm. And then you start seeing like you, and you see your children picking up on these messages out in the world that you feel like, how, where are they exposed? But they're looking all of the time.
0: Hi, listeners. We hope that you're enjoying this episode of the scholars and storytellers podcast. The center for scholars and storytellers is an organization dedicated to bridging the gap between scholars and storytellers to promote positive youth development. Are you interested in learning more about the other projects we're working on? Check out our website at scholarsandstorytellers.com and find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching center for scholars and storytellers. Now back to the conversation.
1: I swear I get sad when I see that because the girl is trying so hard and and this is what I really liked seeing you speak because it feels like you have empathy for everyone <laughs> because it's not easy, right? I mean, it's, that girl's trying her best and she hasn't been educated in a way from her parents. She thinks she's doing the right thing. And maybe because you grew up in Hawaii <laughs> and you sort of, you know, didn't feel a lot of, um, you know, the racism, at least, you know, that that people growing up in different places in this country did. Um, but there's, you have a lot of empathy and understanding because I think our, the role of content creators, I mean, it's not, it's entertainment. I, I know we don't, aren't supposed to educate, but we have to sort of think about everyone and how we can help those people that are really struggling to do the right thing, to help them have the tools to do the right thing as well. So maybe you can
3: speak to the clip and what you thought. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do appreciate that I come across as empathetic and that is my, my hope and my, my, my goal. Um, but to help people, I mean, that's my job. I'm a therapist, right? And, and my job is to listen and to listen to the stories that people are told and tell themselves all the time. Um, so to be able to deeply listen to that. And I think empathy is about listening. So what I see in that clip is Carrie is Washington's character has clearly listened, um, I think it's Izzy, uh, clearly listened her. Um, and I also think that's the piece. It's like being a kid is that people don't listen to you. Um, and, and I do think it's that this piece around anything that humanizes a child, humanizes, doesn't downplay it, doesn't um, market it, doesn't stereotype it, but, but allows children to be really human is really compelling. So what I see there is someone trying and failing and being held accountable, and I, and I think that's the place that's really beautiful, is I think that what you see in that dialogue is is a space of empathy and connection and listening, and that I also hope um, that the girl is able to manifest, too. I think sometimes we become so overwhelmed, with I tried to do a good thing, and I didn't, then I failed, and that kind of shut down, so how do we open up enough space that we keep on doing it? So I think that story is, is beautiful about how adults and children, adults and teens, be in dialogue, can talk and really listen to each other. And I also want to frame um, that I still struggle a little bit because I still find it problematic that the narratives that are told are of black women holding that space for white girls or white women. And so it it, it it's a yes and, great opportunity to think about engaging with another person like they are a person, child, different race, whatever, um, and I worry a bit that the narrative continue to be that it's my responsibility to hold that conversation, um, or the responsibility of women of color to hold that conversation, because we've been receiving that narrative pretty heavy-handedly for a long time. And whether that is one that we take back to the times of, you know, uh, of Mammy and what we have to do and how we have to take care, and that this is just a, a new version. I think that's extreme for me to kind of say that in that way. But but these these biases, these tropes are really, really deep and go far back. So wouldn't it be a great opportunity to see a white mom having that conversation, admitting, I don't know how to do this either. Um, this is really hard. We made a mistake. Let's go back. Let's try it again. Let's listen to, to what that black boy's experience was. Uh, I think there are some great opportunities and windows that we could do that um, and have those stories told as well. I couldn't agree more. Um, before I go to questions,
1: um, Qualey, sort of, do you think content creators are more open to to this topic? And why do you think it's so hard for white adults' parents to talk about this? Um, I think certainly
2: content creators and content buyers I've, are definitely more open, is my experience. I think everyone wants to be on the side of change, um, as I think that people are, I mean, look, if the NFL comes out against or comes out in support of Black Lives Matter, like that is a that is a sh- tidal change, right? After all this time. So certainly people are sensing um, they need to be on the right side of history at this moment. Um, beyond that, I mean, from a content creator standpoint, certainly people there the, the willingness is there. I think, and this dovetails nicely into the question about white parents is I think people are really afraid of, of saying it wrong or doing it wrong or making a mistake. And and I think what Allison, you just said so beautifully, is like it's, it, it, it's messy. It's, it's, it's um, people are going to make mistakes. And the worst thing we can collectively do is not try for fear of saying the wrong thing. Um, what was the last? Is that was that your question? Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, that's that's exactly my question. Um, why is it so hard? And I totally. Why is it agree so hard? So okay, so yeah, it's hard to. So here's the thing:
2: it's hard to. You don't want to say the wrong thing. It's easier not to say anything, but by not saying anything, you're creating by creating a um, a vacuum of dialogue. What you're signaling to the child is that this is a subject that is somehow taboo. It somehow has a negative cloud around it, which Creates a cycle of um, otherness and difference um, that kids at a very young age, as Allison was saying, is you know absorbed at a very young age, and especially if these are children that live in largely homogenous um, communities, uh, they are not faced with or have encountered people that are different from them, um, which just simply uh, perpetuates the otherness. Um, So, I mean, from a content side, we can create more experiences and immersive stories that take place in worlds that look really different from these homogenous zones. That right?
1: Well, and I also mm-hmm. think, I mean, you know, Talson's point, you know, and the whole reason I wanted to show that clip, I think role modeling the conversations with a white parent, perhaps, in the content will help. I mean, my whole my belief is, and the whole reason I started the center is people, we learn from media. We know this, right? And we can learn positive things and negative things. And how can we make sure that the media um, has the most positive outcomes for both kids and parents, and and parents are particularly involved when kids are younger. So, you know, my challenge would be is to think about, you know, how can we, how can we support parents who, you know, have are scared, have shame, to know it's okay to have these conversations. Here's how you do the conversations. I mean, Allison's doing a lot of work with parents and writing about it, and we have tools as well. Um, But if we can use media to communicate this, we're going to get much further. Allison's just one person, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like if we can use the content that kids are consuming um, and then also educate the tweens teens directly. That show is to adults. So it's hopefully some parents picked up on that. But if we have a show for tweens teens, help them. They're really at a great age to learn this stuff and think about it. Okay, I'm gonna to cut to questions. Um, so we have people who have been sending in questions, have time. Um, this is from Dylan, and it's to either of you. Is talking about race the same thing as talking about racism? And either of you can jump in, or you both can. You
2: wanna go ahead?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think yes and. So part of this is um, what's your definition of race? How do you understand it? Um, what country are we in as we're thinking about um, race? Um, so I, I tend to pull a real good psychologist move and like duck it in terms of it, it depends, but, but rather kind of go back to the places and think about this in the context of parents and parenting, how do you understand what race is? So I think very clearly, I think for me, I understand race as a socio historical political construct that was supposed to be a biological reified construct, but there is no, um, that, that biology kind of fell apart. And so what we have now is something that is held up by systems, and that's the racism part. So um, so I think if the it, conversation is about how do I talk about race with my children, I think often with little ones, we are talking about what we often think of as the markers of race, right? So the, the phenotype, um, the color of our skin, the melanin, the, you know, that's what we're kind of talking about. And then as we kind of get more and more complex, we start talking about the system that actually upholds that. So why do kids get treated differently? Um, why do police officers treat black men differently? You know, now we start thinking about and talking about systems and that system is a is racism part. So that's how I kind of think about it. Um, and I, I think in the content of, of children, I think it's really interesting because I think there sometimes is an, and I think, clearly you were kind of talking about this, like the way in which storytellers for children are often talking about race is by showing different colored characters but not necessarily talking about their treatment or the systems or how things are operating. And so that's a, I, I think that's a, a missed opportunity to actually talk about racism, talk, talk about things not being fair, which little kids get. But, and, and they get it because they feel it.
2: I think there are, there's a lot of work to be done in this area for sure um, that, it seems that peop- that there is a, quite a lot of content that does a deep dive, like a deep cultural dive into different um, ethnicities. Uh, Molly of Denali is a great example. It takes place in um, an Alaskan Native community. It, um, you know, it has, it, it, the, culture is infused in every story. It affected the writer's room, it affected the um, voices that they cast, and they did a really, really good job with that. Um, Mira, Royal Detective on Disney, another show that, you know, did a great, like really deep dive in terms of um, cultural authenticity and, you know, the designs of the characters and the designs of the world. Um, It's really, but it's not, about African-Americans, you know, these are not shows that are about African-Americans that do a deep dive in African-American culture. Now there are shows that have, and and, and there are more to come, certainly. Um, I think that for a while, a lot of, you would see a lot of brown skinned characters, but nothing really else was changed in terms of culture or the, the scripts or you know the stories. It was really more of a a, a a matter of character design and and choice of skin tone rather than actually doing a deep dive from a cultural stamp cultural ethnic racial standpoint. Um, so there's work to do. I mean the other the other challenge is you got to make these shows really highly entertaining and fun and um, engaging. So. Uh, so there, yes, there is yes and I'm with you on that. Yes and there's more work to do, and we'll find a way. But certainly, um, the more as long the more it's top of mind for gatekeepers, um, buyers of content, creators of content, um, and and to really make sure that the people that that we are representing who on screen is being represented by the people that are actually making it, the better off we all are, will be.
1: Yeah. We just did a panel with the TV Academy and one of our panelists talked about, um, not swapping, like not just, and for gender too, right? Oh, I'll just make it a boy or a girl, you know, or, you know, how there was this one character in a show that, um, that because of the casting, it was a South Korean character, I think, and, but that's all they changed. Like there was nothing else in the content. And um, yeah, so we need to sort of deep, dig deeper culturally. And the one other thing I said, my, my first film was um, Mi Familia, the first movie I made, met My mm-hmm. Family, which is, um, and I'm Iranian American, producer was Francis Ford Coppola, Italian American, and it's an intergenerational story of um, Mexican Americans. And there, it was universal, right? All of us. It's about family. That's the thing too. You don't have to feel like a story about a specific culture doesn't have universality because there's universality in human being human. You know, so the more we can do that. Um, okay, so we have another question for um, Allison from Zurich. Um, what are some ways to incorporate awareness of race and privilege into kids' TV shows? such that, it's a good question, Black children are informed, but don't feel overwhelmed or saddened?
3: You know, I think that's a really provocative and interesting question. I think at its heart, and I appreciate a a holding on to how Black children are consuming and making sense of media. And um, I also want to think, like, Black kids are seeing what the world is like, and that's pretty sad. Black kids are have to walk outside or turn on the TV or look at their parents um, and see how they're coping. And I think there's an opportunity to actually have this mirrored validated in a way that is helpful. So, I mean, I think part of it is like, this is a great, to have is is the purpose is to show um, media that only helps my children feel happy. Or does it, is it about them feeling equipped? Is it about them feeling, seen? And I think that's actually, you know, that's a question that I think storytellers have to have to think about. So I think if the frame is, we really want anyone who watches this to feel seen and heard. And, and I have, like, I think this is what Mr. Rogers did so incredibly well. Um, I really appreciate him as like, uh, you know, from a developmental psychologist kind of perspective, is that he was really about kind of providing stories where each child got to, got to feel seen just a little bit. And what was kind of compelling about about that? Um, I know there are flaws and there's problems, but but what if we actually had like, and I think Molly and Mol are great. like this is an opportunity that is both universal. My children love it. We're we're not from that population. and and we get to see something that is connects because the stories of being far away from heart of family, those places. And I don't know that that makes us sad. I think it actually makes us feel feel seen. So again, I appreciate the, the holding and there's a kind of a concern, but I also think TV is not harder than what it's like to go outside. Mm. Um, and it's not harder um, than what our children are going through.
1: I do think though, you know, there's a notion that TV and especially in kids TV, it's like, it's meant to be escapism. It's meant to be aspirational. We hear this all the time and we're trying to get across the message that you just said. Um, and I think, luckily, there's enough examples, um, you know, just because it's not always happy, doesn't mean people don't see it, right? I mean, these shows are successful with those themes. So, and I do agree, TV, it's meant to, you know, and, and this is the next question, so it actually works in following this up, Qualey. Um, how does one one ensure the show's social message doesn't come across as preachy? Because that is what you will hear if you are an academic and you're speaking, and I'm a former movie executive, so I always couch my stuff. And you are speaking to a content creator um, or executives, um, they will often say, you know, my job's to entertain. My job is to get eyeballs. You know, that is ultimately what you are judged on. Um, probably why I left the movie business, because I wanted to do other things.
2: Uh, so, Quaylee, what do you think? Uh, I mean, honestly, it depends on how old the audience is. Um, I think that I just also want to give a shout out to Sesame Street, who's been fighting the fight for decades, um, 50 years, um, in terms of representation and showing things that are harder and showing diversity in a city street. I mean, it really, they've they've paved the way in a lot of ways. Um, I will say that for a young audience, um, I don't know that young audiences knows what preachy is. Um, I think that uh, it's the executives that you have to convince, as, as you said, Yelda, like, um, but any time, any content for any age, if you put a camera down, like at the level of your characters and immerse that camera in a world where these things happen, This is the reality for the characters. You're honest about that. And you can be, you can um, frame the story and the stakes of the story to be appropriate for that audience. But if that camera is is embedded in this world, then it won't be preachy because it will come from an authentic place. It will be real, like, like kids will fall in love with these characters and they will feel, the the emotions and the stakes of that world um it's preachy if you have someone saying there being like you know like telling our audience what they should be thinking but nobody wants to watch that anyway that's just bad tv yeah
1: there's actually a great study um that looked at an 11 minute story and 11 minute documentary and they both had the same um formation around uh Getting uh, Pap smears, <laughs> but one was in storytelling and one wasn't. And six months later, um, this, the the story te- the people that were in the storytelling condition, um, more of them went to get Pap smears, because no one wants to be like you know. Often, like nonprofits, advocacy organizations, adults sort of thinking we you know we're preaching to adults. You know, we've got to give them the facts, the stats. It's nothing like storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so. This is for both of you, um, and it, it's sort of something we think about a lot too. We're in a world now with technology. We're looking at the second screen in some of our studies. We're trying to understand, because we know, and Allison, you know, and I'm sure you know Quayley too, you know, there's a developmental trajectory for what they understand. They don't really understand themes and morals till nine. If it's too scary when they're really young, they will only take away the fear. There's some really incredible research that really sort of breaks down what pe- kids are learning at each age and stage, and content—that's also another thing we like to share because content creators, even ones that work with kids, don't know some of this stuff. Um, but we we do know beyond a shadow shadow of a doubt, co-viewing is incredibly important. Conversation is incredibly important, and even for tweens and teens. Um, and there's a right way to do it, and a wrong way to do it, and you know, but. Adults around the child should be doing this. And we can't always co-view. We don't always have time or the interest. But conversation is important. So how can we, and and Allison, maybe you can understand answer what is the right way to debrief with your child after watching a TV show or movie that touches upon sensitive racial topics? This is from Lior. Um, and maybe, Qualey, you can un- say, are there ways um, that we can as content, the content creators can think about sort of beyond the show, or maybe, you know, at the same time as the show, ways to give the adults tools to talk about. I mean, we're in a tech world now. How can we do that? Can we push that? Can we get um, studios to support that? So I'll start with you, Alison.
3: Sure. I mean, I think, I think the first thing is something that that you kind of talked about. I think we should be talking about the shows. I think we should be either co watching or picking up on or just asking the question. And so, what did you see? What was that like? How did you make sense of that? Um, did you get that part? Um, you know, I think it's about like, I think we should be having those conversations kind of anyway, right? And so, I'm always trying to get a sense of, you know, how are you understanding what you saw? Um, is it is the basic? So, that's asking questions. I also know that like, by now my kids know, like they'll, they'll turn to me and be like, so what do you want to know? Cause I, I ask them all these kinds of questions. So maybe that stops the conversation. So then I've also just started talking about what I see. And I usually say something like, you know, when I saw that part, this is what it made me think about. Um, or, you know, TV when I was little was actually really different. We would never see this. Um, so it's, it's about kind of staying out loud. So it doesn't just have to be like pumping them for information. Um, I have this story where um, my, Done, actually my daughter came and was like, I, I saw this new show and I just want to let you know there are brown people in it. And so she, she, she feels like she's got a report. I'm like, "Oh, okay, but, but what were they doing? And why, were, you know, But so it's, we got to push that conversation um, or rather we need to listen to how they're understanding it. And then that also means we get to talk about, you know, I actually really didn't like the way that that um, girl was treated, um, or I really didn't like how they treated that person. So that we can actually model, and that's that's something that we get a chance to kind of say, and that they can receive, but it becomes part of our dialogue.
2: Definitely, um, as a parent myself, I have a I have two girls, 11 and 7, and we often um, we just debrief in life. You know, we'll be out pre-COVID, out with friends, and there'll be a, you know some sort of behavior that we witness. I'm like, and afterwards we debrief, and I'm like, so that thing that we talked, you know, so what would you think of that, you know? Um, I'll be honest. Um, as a busy working parent, I don't do a ton of co-viewing with my kids. Um, it's really hard to to do that. Um, it's just not realistic for our life, our our family, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I also think that um, there's it's an interesting experience when you're viewing leaning back versus leaning forward, um, and lean forward viewing is. I'd love to think that that's happening a lot. I don't know that it is um, however, for those of you who are leaning forward, um, both of you um, just kidding um, that there it would be so fantastic to have supplemental materials you know um, I'm not quite sure what the best way to tee that up um, is it like a pop up video kind of thing or something like because you know the way we are watching is all it's It can be an interactive experience. Um, Can you create little pop-ups where you're like, if you want to know more about this or here's a question you can talk about, or like, did you just see what happened there? Like, um, that would be amazing. Would people really engage? Some people will, you know. Um, We're at a point where people are, if people are really committed to anti-racist changing you know their own biases and and blind, and finding figure out what their own blind spots are yeah I, I think that there are people that would take that extra step um, and and but that would you know and that also requires content that is is specifically
1: created for that purpose uh, and the right questions and and sort of the right conversation starters which isn't always easy for that's where researchers and People should be coming in, um, I think, to help. Um, and I do think we are at a point. We just have to make it as easy and simple as possible. Hardly anyone co views. If 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 you co view, you're you're in a privileged position, you know, where you can you have the time, and maybe you you know you have you have help. Most parents don't. So I mean, especially now in COVID, right? So how can we make it easy? But they are in the same rooms with their kids, probably. So, you know how can we make that delivery mechanism so easy and so like maybe on things they're already following everyone's on social media and things how can we do it let's solve this problem because we are at the point where we should be thinking about this um i know it takes time but we can probably minimize the friction so you don't have to go to a site download the questions and you know we're, we're in places um so, so I am going to ask um, both of you, but maybe this is more, um, Allison. Um, this came in through our Instagram feed um, from Sasha Fierce. Um, how do you facilitate a conversation when a kid refers to or says a racial slur?
3: And uh, maybe between
1: yeah. teens, really, because mm-hmm. you know, with the N word um, in all those songs people, um, it's very confusing time for, you know, them. So what do you do?
3: So, I mean, the way that I try to support families in thinking about how to answer any of these questions, how do I talk to my kids one day, is to kind of back up and think about kid factors, who's the kid, um, age, development, um, gender, race. What do you bring to this conversation? But also that's in the context of your, of what I, like to kind of think about as a family mission statement. So what are the values you have as a family? Think about it this way, like what's the, the statements that you start in your family that begin with a we? Before moving to what do you say to a kid in the use of a of, of racial epithet is, well, who was that kid and why were they using it? In what context? And so you have to think, and, and what do you think about it? Is that okay? Um, Do you want to learn more about it? Is that a seven-year-old? Is that a 17-year-old? So I think you need to have a framework by which to understand. And that framework is, what do you think? And do you think that that's okay and appropriate? Even if you do think it's okay and appropriate, what are the consequences for that child? Should they use it? And again, all of those things are different according to our social location and and all of that. So I think rather than kind of coming up with something, um, you should tell them this. I, I really want to encourage parents actually slow down and think about it. And, you know, uh, you're also kind of talking about, like, especially now, parents are really overwhelmed, our, our bandwidth, you know, we're home teaching or going out into the field and worrying about our safety, all of that kind of stuff, right? So I think there's some simple kind of questions that we can ask, um, which is, what did you see? What do you think? How do you understand this? And so if we're asking about a show, what what made you feel good about that? that show when they just feel not so good we could also come up with standard questions which is how do you think they treated women in that show how did were there any brown folks in that show how were they treated what were they doing so yes it can be something that's content specific but you can ask basic questions that are actually aligned with who you are as a family it's important for us that we treat each other well so did that show show people treating each other well and if not what happened so I, I think about it as framework. It may be a way to kind of think about it, as opposed to like a specific type of question. Yeah, that's brilliant,
1: and and you know, such, such a um, good for teens and tweens too. Like you know, open ended, and 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 it, it has a bonus. It allows them to process as well, you know, and it makes them critically think. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Quite like, okay, no. <laughs> Um, So that is brilliant. Um, we only have a few more minutes, so and um, this kind of I was going to ask this question and then um drawer on ig um just asked it um because like you know i thought you were going to say allison like you know let me give you the history of blackface or let me you know let mm-hmm. me give you a history lesson so george mm-hmm. just asked do storytellers have a responsibility and Quaylee, you can start to educate young people about america's racist past and present
2: uh short answer yes um All, especially when you are a content creator for a young audience, you 100% have responsibility for the content you put out there. Um, And I will say, knowing literally hundreds of people who make content for kids, you never forget who you're really serving. Um, You never forget who your audience is, because you know what? That audience can walk away pretty quickly. And so not only do you need to, Make sure that you are creating content that's engaging you need to do right by them and do right by this world I mean we are um, we have it's such a privilege to be making content for young young kids um, it, and and that is not a um, it's not something that anyone takes lightly and so we are uh, we may not have all the tools this moment to to tell all the exact right stories to like to rise to this challenge, but we are certainly going to try, and we are always looking for people to um, help us do that in the best and most authentic way possible. So bring it on, you know. Happy to take on that challenge, and we'll st- and we'll make mistakes, you know. We will. Brilliant,
3: Alison, okay. Do you want to add anything? I don't think it can be better said um, than that. I, I'd like, I mean, the only piece I'd like to add is like, I don't know that necessarily we need new tools. This is, this is a fight that we've been at for a very, very long time. I think we need to remember the tools that we have available to us um, and not recreate the the, the wheel. Um, as you said, there've been people that have been engaging in this fight and paved the way for a long time. You know, your presence in, in these spaces also does that. So, uh, and I also think like, this is actually about our failures as much as it about our successes, they're perfect. Um, that's not what this is about, this is about learning. And, and that's what I, th- I think children are about, are learning. So why wouldn't we create a space for us to grow from our mistakes um, and, and learn and narrate that and tell, tell that story. I mean, how many of the stories that we watch are about people making mistakes, not about I did this thing perfectly. Um, that's not compelling. Necessarily is to is to have the the, look how perfect that came out and and, you know That's certainly what many of our social media forums are about is telling that story, but this is that's not What life is like, so All
1: right. Well, thank you so much. I was supposed to say (laughs) Open I myself as the moderator forgot to tell people to drop questions into Facebook, but um, Into the Center for scholars and storytellers um, live stream on talking about race with um, and using storytelling to do it. Um, we were incredibly honored and had a really good discussion um, with Qualey Shonda from um, Hello Sunshine. I, I thank you so much Qualey for your, your honesty, your, your, your sort of just standing up for the right thing, for, for being a caring, You know, content creator. I I know there's so many of you out there, and and we want to help you um, because as you said, your job first job is to make it entertaining and engaging, and and it's hard to have eyeballs on every single little thing. So, you know, we hope we can help you. And um, thank you so much, Dr. Briscoe Smith, um, for everything that you've done, that you're doing, um, that you're you know the work that you do. Um, to communicate it out to the world, to um, really, I'm, I'm glad that, I, I'm sure you're probably, your work is getting more and more attention, um, and I'm really, really happy about it, because it's incredible work that you've been doing for a long time, and, and as you said, we have failed in the past, and that's why this moment in time um, is an opportunity to get it right. So, thank you both. Um, this will be archived on our website and on our YouTube channel, and it will be turned into a podcast too. So look out for that. Um, and it's 101. So bye.
0: That concludes this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers Podcast. A very special thanks to Quaylee Chanda and Dr. Allison Briscoe Smith for joining us in that conversation. If you have a minute, rate and review us. And if you have any friends who you think would like the show, share it with them. If you're interested in learning more about our work, please visit us at scholarsandstorytellers.com and follow our social media accounts by searching Center for Scholars and Storytellers. This podcast was produced by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers with special thanks to Jim Uhles for creating the intro music, the UCLA Film School, and Nier Liebenthal. Goodbye for now, and thank you for listening.